Welcome to the first of a few bonus episodes of OME Talks this season. I'm your host, David Petro, and on this first bonus episode, we're going to hear some super brief previews from the featured speakers appearing on the Thursday of OME 2020 this year. That's on May 7th. We'll hear a short elevator pitch for the sessions from Mary Barassa, Ian Vandenberg, Dan Meyer, Marion Small, and Valerie Camille Jones. And one thing that I can tell you after talking with all of these people is that there's a really nice diversity of ideas that they all bring to the table. First up, we're going to hear from Mary Barassa. I've known Mary for many years, and I've been trying to get her on the podcast since we started, so I'm happy to finally get her here. For those of you who don't know Mary, she's been teaching for 25 years, and as a young teacher, she started to see the benefits of using technology in the classroom. When I met her in the early 2000s, she was already a facilitator for TI in workshops all over North America and Australia. Currently, she's a Desmos Fellow and has been involved with OME for many years. And if you've ever used the website wodb.ca to play Which One Doesn't Belong, then you have her to thank. So let's get right to her interview. Mary, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Now, Mary, you are one of our featured speakers here at OME 2020 this year. I'm wondering if you could give us a a brief idea of what your session, The Other Sides of Teaching, is going to be about. Yeah, so as secondary teachers, we tend to focus more on the content, on being experts at mathematics, whereas elementary teachers, in contrast, are experts at pedagogy, at teaching their students, not simply teaching the content. Realistically, you can't be an effective elementary teacher without strong pedagogy because you have like a whole stack of eight-year-olds running around your room otherwise. Being strong math specialist is important, but if we want to be great teachers, we need to focus not just on the math. We need to create academically safe classrooms where it's okay to not know, to learn together without fear, where we work to make everyone feel welcome, where students know we care about them. We have to be intentional about this. We have to be intentional about how we ask questions, how we listen, how we respond. We need to prepare for a variety of strategies and ideas coming out of lessons and tasks while also being sure we listen to our students, not just for the answers we expect. Um, I think that this is where secondary teachers can learn a lot from their elementary counterparts. So in the session, we're going to talk a little bit about issues of identity, of active caring, of collaboration, of building a community in your classroom. I'll share ideas that have worked for me, many of which are simple little things that mean a lot to students. We will also talk about some great math structures that are easily adapted to different mathematical content. So are you, are you uh, focusing your session towards secondary teachers or is it more of a broader focus? It's definitely focused towards secondary teachers because that's what I do. And I don't think I can speak so much to elementary teachers because they're probably really good at what they do and much better than me. So yeah, it would definitely have a secondary focus. So I feel like this is a big ask for a lot of teachers in secondary. I mean, I even think to, my, to myself, it's a shift from being the, you know, the oracle. I think one of the truisms now is there is so much available to students outside the classroom that was traditional teaching, you know, whether it be on YouTube or some other form, we can do much more than just tell students about mathematics. And I think that this, this session, this other sides of teaching uh, is where we have to put a lot of our effort in. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, there are a lot of little things you can do. You don't have to, you know, shift everything all at once. You can choose, you know, which changes fit with the way you teach and your style and hopefully progressively over the years you change more and more things so that 
you're becoming as good as you can possibly be. So if you have a a teacher coming into your session who's who's willing and and but they're not sure where to start, what what advice would you give them? Choose something that that they feel comfortable with that to just to jump in. You know, there are some big changes that you can make. You know, I'm thinking of vertical non-permanent surfaces, all of that. Like that's that's a huge shift. That's really scary. But there are a lot of little things that teachers can do. So like pick one or two specific things and like make a goal of I'm going to do this by this date and sort of that gets you going on the journey. So what would be like something that could be an easy little thing that might be something a, a teacher could try? So something I do on a regular basis are little just checking in forms that I give to my students. It takes students, you know, maybe three minutes to fill them in. And I ask, you know, are you feeling stressed? What's your biggest issue going on right now? Are things okay at home? You know, different kinds of little questions like that, just to kind of check in with them and show them that uh, I'm concerned about you or I care about you and not just about your academic success, but you as a person. And I think that's actually really important that it's not about math that is going to give that student the feeling or, or the hope is I would think that they would give the student the feeling that this is a safe place. Yeah. I mean, it should be, should, you know, most of the strategies should work in any kind of classroom, you know, the tasks and stuff that I'll talk about will certainly be about math, but a lot of the ideas would connect with any any student and any teacher. Okay, so that's a lot to think about. And I love that your session in a math conference is, is not primarily about math. So thank you for talking with us today and we will definitely see you in May. So thanks a lot, Mary. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll see you in May. That was Mary Barassa talking about her OME 2020 featured session, The Other Sides of Teaching. She will be presenting that session twice on Thursday, May 7th. Next up is Ian Vandenberg. He's been on the teaching faculty of the University of Waterloo for almost 20 years, and he's currently also the director of the Center for Education in Mathematics and Computing, also known as the CEMC. And although the CEMC does many things, one of them is producing world-renowned math contests like the Pascal and Euclid contests. And he tells me that one of the aspects of the job that he loves is traveling across the country, meeting teachers and students and talking about how the CEMC can support mathematics education. So let's hear from Ian. Ian, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you, David? So just between you and I, like nobody is listening here. I'm just wondering if you give me a hint on the upcoming Euclid contest. Good question. And conveniently, I've forgotten all of the questions on the Euclid contest since I last looked at them yesterday. So you're, you're out of luck today. Right. I thought that might be the case. Nice try. Ian, as I said, you're one of our featured speakers this year at OME 2020. You're doing a session called Adventures in Problem Solving, and that got me excited already. I wonder if you could give our listeners a little bit of a brief outline of what you're going to be talking about. Problem solving for me is one of the most fundamental parts of mathematics. It's a time where we get to take the knowledge that we have, the content knowledge, the curriculum knowledge, the specific skills and techniques we've learned, and then to be creative in mathematics, to take ideas that come from different places, to try to think about a problem in an unusual way. I really love looking at problems that don't require much or any sophisticated knowledge, but really do make us think. 
whether we're high school teachers or university instructors or elementary school teachers, that we all have the opportunity to come at the same kinds of problems together and bring our experience and our ideas to them and, and get intrigued. I think as educators, it is really important that we continue to be intrigued by and inspired by the discipline that we teach. And so I hope I hope to be able to give a bit of a glimpse of that in my session to have some ideas that people can think about for their own mathematical interests, but also things that they can take back to their classrooms too. So what grade level of teacher would you expect to be at your session? I'm expecting that there might be teachers across the entire mathematics spectrum from elementary, primary, junior, all the way up to intermediate and senior. And I hope to have problems there that are accessible to everybody and interesting to everybody. Certainly, I I recognize that at a conference as diverse as OEME, that there are lots of people coming with lots of different backgrounds and and different interests. And I, I hope to be able to provide some ideas and some things that everybody will be able to think about equally. And I think it's important for teachers to realize that we really should be having students of all ages doing as much problem solving as possible. I agree with that completely. And problem solving, I think, is for many of us is a tricky, a tricky thing to try to teach to our students. And I've had the the real pleasure in the last few years of teaching problem solving to teachers through an online course that I teach. And so I've had the chance to reflect a bit on on what that looks like. And I hope to be able to share some of that, some of those ideas and some of that experience as well through the session to maybe give people ideas of things that they could use with their own students to help teach problem solving. So I'm curious now, is your approach when you're teaching teachers about problem solving different than when you are teaching students about problem solving? It is. It is different because I think as as teachers, we are all students at the same time. And it's important for us to spend time thinking about the problems as students and as people who are just intrigued enough to try to solve the problem. But at the same time, as teachers, we, I think, always have the teacher hat either on our head or kind of hidden under our chair. And we want to make sure that, that we are thinking as teachers about, you know, if, if I was going to do this with students, how would I approach it? What would I say to them? How would I prompt them in the right direction? And I think that that's something that I always try to work through with the teachers in the in the problem-solving course. So is there um, a bit of advice for a teacher who is, is, is keen on, on, you know, embracing problem-solving a little bit more, some advice or a, a way to tell them that they could start that is is going to be manageable if they haven't been doing it in the past. I think one of the things that I've found valuable as I've been thinking about this, and I think the teachers who've taken my problem solving course have reported to me that they've found valuable, is thinking about different techniques of solving problems. So finding a pattern, breaking things into cases, working backwards, trying a simpler problem, those kinds of strategies without incorporating new content at the same time. So really having the opportunity to focus on that particular strategy and looking at problems that are related to that strategy. I liken it a little bit to learning how to use a tool. If I want to learn to use a tool, I'd like to try to figure out how to do it out of context first before I then have to do it in context. And I think that if we can think about 
a particular strategy, a particular way to solve problems without worrying, do I know all the material that I need to know to solve this particular problem? Or how will I know how to use this strategy later? We can do those other pieces later, but let's focus on the individual strategies and on the tools along the way. So now I feel terrible because I have a list of questions that I've been writing down and I don't want to give away your entire talk. So I'm going to have to leave our listeners in the lurch, as it were. We've given them a teaser. And now, like me, you've got to come out to see Ian's talk at OME 2020. I'm looking forward to it, too. Thanks so much, David. That was Ian Vandenberg talking about his OME 2020 featured session, Adventures in Problem Solving. He will be presenting that session twice on Thursday, May 7th. Next up is Dan Meyer. I met Dan way back in 2012, the first time he was a featured speaker at OME in Kingston. Since then, he's become almost a regular feature in Ontario math forums. He's a former classroom teacher who's worked with Joe Bowler at Stanford studying the ins and outs of online math education and is currently the head of the teaching team at Desmos. Let's see what Dan has to say today. Dan, how are you doing? Doing great. Looking forward to it. One of your sessions that you're going to be doing is called The Three Uncommon Messages About Mathematics That Every Student Should Know. This seems like secrets. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be talking about? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm happy to spoil them right now, though the elaboration is pretty juicy, pretty fun. So do attend. Uh, The deal is, is that there's the mathematical messages that people hear in math class that students hear, the actual content standards, what students are learning mathematically. But then there's all kinds of other messages that are being heard by students, whether or not the teacher is aware that she is sending them, stuff that is subconscious, subliminal, not fully audible. And so I want to focus a little bit on, on what those messages often are how they're heard so loudly by students, and what are are messages that that teachers should explicitly send instead. And those messages I'm going to offer are the following three, that math is power, that power makes sense, and students already have that power, those three. So math is power, that we invented math because it makes us more powerful, not because it lets us us assign a grade to students or gives teachers jobs. There's unique power in mathematical skills, and we need to service that power for students, help them see that. That power makes sense is is a moment where we will reflect on all the ways that we can give students power without it making sense, where it feels a bit like an obscure magical spell, an incantation, like do this, keep change, multiply, keep flip, multiply, or whatever it is, keep flip, change, all these kinds of like mnemonics, the turtle head method, the butterfly method, all these kind of tricks that have the effect of telling students subconsciously over time that math doesn't make sense. It may be power, but it does not make sense. And finally, the most revolutionary message I can offer at the moment is that math is power, that power makes sense. And students, you already have that power. Right now, we have so many classes where teacher walks in, students walk in, and the teacher communicates to the students that you have no power mathematically until I offer it to you, until I demonstrate it for you. Just a lack of creativity on the part of people who create curriculum where in in point of fact, there are so many informal, interesting ways that students already have power in math before they walk in the door. I'm talking stuff like Brazilian street kids before they go into their formal schooling, they have lots of sophisticated ways of of counting change and and getting payment for their candies or how infants have a well-developed sense of quantity before school. And that's, that's, that, that bears out even in, uh, in secondary school, talking about like linear equations and quadratics and all of that. Like those are those kinds of pattern-based thinking. We need to figure out what students already know and celebrate that and build on that rather than telling them, hey, you got to wait for us 
the adults to give you power. Rather, you've already got that power. We're going to find it, celebrate it, and build on it. It's going to be a really fun session. Lots of conversations, lots of resources offered. Should be some laughs. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So say I've gone to your session. I'm like, that Dan Meyer's got something really great to say. I leave the session. I'm, I'm all ready to go. I get back to my class, and I just don't know where to start. Yeah. Uh, what's, the, what's the question, David? What, what, do you, what do you want from me here? You know? Let me come and be a supply teacher here for you. I'd love to. So I, I feel like this happens a lot with with teachers, especially when they're going to these conferences. They you know they see these great ideas, and then there's like the follow through doesn't happen when they get back to their classes. For sure, for sure, yeah. Uh, especially like big aspirational, messagey type sessions like this one do have that risk. And I'll just say this: one, feel no guilt from me about any any anything teachers do short of harmful behaviors to- towards students. I, like I, I, the job is so challenging. Well, I, I take uh, Steve Lineman's maxim pretty seriously that to change more than 10% of your practice per year would be irresponsible to change, you know, some, some far less than that would also be responsible, but to, to take off a, a meaningful chunk from a talk, whether that's, you know, one day per month or per week, or to just try one small thing to commit five minutes of a class period. And not, not to say like, this needs to revolutionize your entire practice. The week you get back would be to set oneself up for failure. So in this, in this talk, I'm going to offer some resources that allow teachers to, for instance, access the power students already have to think mathematically in very small time investments every single day or every week to just, and that that's an option to just try that out. And I feel like for a, a lot of teachers, like this sounds good, but there's a, a leap of faith component here where it, it can be uh, uh, scary to try out something super large and not know if you're gonna have a return on that investment. What I'll offer are some ways uh, to take small steps and immediately see like, okay, are my students responding to this? Do they respond to this idea that math is power? Okay, cool. Um, how about that this, this power makes sense to them? All right, I'm seeing some good here uh, to continue to, to build on those kinds of successes. Yeah, and I think that that is a really key message there is that you cannot expect to change, to have like a paradigm shift and have that be successful out the gate. I think it has to be incremental. Okay, Dan, so thanks for talking to us today. And if you guys are interested in seeing Dan at OME, you should definitely check him out. But uh, thanks for talking to us today, and we will see you in May. Take care, folks. See you then. Bye. That was Dan Meyer talking about his OME 2020 featured session, Three Uncommon Messages About Mathematics That Every Student Should Know. He will also be doing a featured session titled connected and creative classes with free Desmos technology. Both of these will be on Thursday, May 7th. Our second last speaker today is a staple at OME conferences and speaking around Ontario. She has written too many books to be mentioned here that help teachers in math education, and one of her focuses is on teacher questioning to help pull information out of students. I honestly don't remember the first time I saw her speak, It might have been OME 2003, the last time it was in Oshawa, but I really don't know. But I do know that no matter how many times I see her, I learn something new or at least hear something that makes me think. I wonder what I'm going to think about today. Let's find out. Hi, Marion. How are you doing? I'm great. So, Marion, you're a featured speaker this year at OME 2020, and you're going to be doing a session called a focus on teaching to essential understandings. Can you give us a brief idea of what that session is going to be about? Sure. 
Um, one of the things that's been on my mind quite a bit lately is what does it really mean to teach the curriculum? And I know that's on lots of Ontario teachers' minds now that we think we might even be getting a new one. And I think I want to make the premise that teaching the curriculum doesn't just mean you look at an expectation and say, yep, did that one, yep, did that one, yep, did that one. What I think it means is that we help kids see what's really lurking under the surface, what's really important, why is that expectation even there anyway, and what are the ideas and connections and relationships I want students to really notice while we're focusing on this particular idea. So it's really about taking the expectation, uncovering the ideas that are sort of lurking underneath it, which I do not think are the overall expectations, and, and learn to bring those ideas, not just hope they come out, but make a real conscious, explicit effort to bring those essential understandings out. So the session will show what it looks like um, at lots of different grade levels so that you could see how you would look at an expectation and think that way. So. So I'm wondering, like, what brought you to the idea of talking about this issue? Well, there's a couple things. Um, I've been addressing it a little bit lately, and teachers have reacted really well to it, so I thought it might be worth sharing with others. But it's really about teachers telling me they can't cover the curriculum, kids can't, teachers telling me kids forgot everything they learned when they go to the next grade. All that means is that they didn't kind of really learn it. So I think maybe our issue is focusing on what do we really want them to walk away with and not just thinking, well, it'll happen if I cover this, but thinking that I need to draw these things to their attention to make sure they notice them and don't forget them. You know, and I think that the aspect of students not retaining the information that we are teaching or trying to teach them may be one of the biggest problems that we have right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, it almost seems like, why bother? And I think we have a belief that you don't retain things that don't mean stuff to you. So it's not just about doing stuff. It's about making that mean something to you. So can you give us a small example of what people might see in this context? Sure. So one of the examples we've looked at is the word factor. And let's just do it with numbers at an elementary level. Yeah, I can teach kids what you have to do to factor. So yeah, I could probably get them through a week where they could just kind of factor away anything I wanted. But then three weeks later, they forget it because it was just something we did three weeks ago. So what I want them to do is think about what does a factor mean? Well, a factor only is a word I use when I'm multiplying. And a factor is always like littler or definitely not bigger than the guy he's a factor of. And factors come in pairs. And whenever there's this one guy, there's this other guy. So I want to talk about those ideas, not just the process you go through to get the factors. All right, so we don't want to give it all away, but we did want to give people a glimpse of what they might see during the conference. Cool. So if you're interested in seeing Marion Small, then you can come see her on the first day of OME 2020 in May, where she will be one of the featured speakers. Marion, thanks for speaking to us. Okay. Bye, Dave. Bye, everyone else. That was Marion Small talking about her OME 2020 featured session, A Focus on Teaching to Essential Understandings. She'll be doing that session on Thursday, May 7th in the afternoon. Our last speaker today is Valerie Camille Jones. Valerie has been teaching for 20 years in grades three up to college. She's currently teaching at Ron Clark Academy in Atlanta, 
which is both a middle school and an educator training facility. That means, as far as I'm concerned, she gets the best of both worlds. She has her own classes that she teaches within the school, as well as getting to work with other educators as they observe her classes. Now, Valerie is actually a keynote speaker on the Thursday at OME, but she'll also be doing a featured session as well. That's what we're going to hear about. She calls herself a chic geek, and maybe we'll find out why as we talk with her here. Valerie, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm great. So it's like a, a teaching school. Is that the, the idea? So at Ron Clark Academy, the founders of the school decided that they wanted to hire teachers that that taught really outside the box. So they hired teachers that had a lot of experience. Before coming to Ron Clark Academy, I had 11 years teaching experience. And I was already teaching in really different ways. Um, I used to be called the Barney teacher because I used to just do a lot of extra stuff, even at the high school level. And my coworkers were always like, does it take all of that to teach this? And I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> so we are a model school. So we have educators, about 500 coming every other week or so. They come into our school and they just watch us teach classes. They do workshops with us and they see what they might want to adapt in their classroom or in their school. It's not mandatory that they adapt it, but they just get ideas to make their um, curriculum better. But since we all teach in outside-the-box ways, it's kind of an innovative situation. Well, that sounds really, really kind of neat. Now, Valerie, you're one of our keynote speakers at OME 2020 in May in Oshawa this year. And you're also a featured speaker as well. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your featured talk, Change Math Anxiety into Math Esteem. Yes, I would love to talk about that. So in essence, I firmly believe, and this is my belief, that when it comes to math and students learning math, about a good 50% is all resting in how they feel about what they're doing versus about learning it. I know that's kind of different than what people think, but if a student has a lot of anxiety or a lot of stress about a certain topic in math or really in life, they're going to be more you know, apprehensive. They're not going to want to really do it. So when they get to a, a challenging problem on an assignment, they're going to probably tend to give up easier or not make the effort and immediately ask for help. Yet, if they feel confident, even if they don't know the topic, they might reach that problem and they might say, okay, I might not know what to do exactly, but what do I know? Let me think about what I do know and then use that to problem solve to find the answer. And it's a different way of approaching things. So I really try to build math esteem in students and get them to have like a growth mindset when it comes to math itself. And that's half the battle. And then they're more open to learning whenever they can to actually get the success with those problems and those topics. Well, I think I feel like I'm a kindred spirit here with you because I use that phrase math esteem a lot as well. And I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of anxiety. And I, and I think that goes for I mean, basically all education. As soon as a, as soon as you have anxiety within you, that is, that puts up some mental blocks. And so it yeah. makes anything you're doing difficult. So doing anything to, to help decrease that math anxiety, I think is going to be a bonus for students. Yes. So I wonder if you could maybe give me a, without giving away your entire featured talk, if you could give me an example of, of something that a teacher could do maybe tomorrow to help decrease math anxiety in their class. 
Okay, so I I know this sounds cliche because people always say, learn your students, figure out ways to aim your curriculum towards them. It might sound cliche, but it's really true. I find that just like you want the students to be approachable with you as an educator, you got to do the same thing with the content. So there's like three things that I try to make sure is in every one of my math lessons. One, I always find a way to answer that question, why do I need to learn this? Even if it's something really small, I always bring it up. So we say that math isn't everything, but it just becomes a a line you say. But then when they see something like factoring, they're like, when am I ever going to use factoring? With every topic that I teach, I find a real world connection, no matter how small, to explain when I'm first teaching it, like as they're learning it for the first time, not after they use it and learn it, then you're like, oh, you could also use this for this. No, right in the beginning to give it value. Two, I always connect my lessons based off of something that I know the majority of the students connect with. So at the beginning of the year, I do this activity with the students and I learn about their interests like with education, not in life, but just with education. Like they like to learn through technology or they like to play games or they got to move. But I'll gear towards that to make sure that they know that I'm doing it. So I'll do a survey as well, but there's an activity that's a lot of fun that I do. I talk about it in my actual uh, presentation, but that way they can connect to it. And then the third thing that I think is really important is allowing the students to have a voice, especially if you're dealing with students around middle school or even fifth grade to 10th grade. They go through a period of time where they feel like they're not being heard or that adults are not listening to them because they're getting more of that, hey, now you gotta be responsible. Now it's up to you. So they feel unheard. Even if you listen to them every single day, they feel like they're not being listened to. So the more things that you can get them involved in and then at the same time, let them recognize that what you're doing is a direct result of what they suggested, the more buying you get, the more open they are. And there's some other things I talk about as far as being vulnerable with your teaching and all that kind of thing. But it's almost like you want to convince the students it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to learn. And it's okay to struggle because the struggle makes you stronger. And here's how I have your back. Trust me to know that, trust to know that I have your back and that I'm going to make sure that we go through this together. You know, and I think that that aspect of struggle is very important for students to recognize that struggle is part of the the learning process. And sometimes I feel like, you know, as teachers, we can give the wrong impression about mathematics because we have like a really nice canned lesson where it just went smoothly from beginning to end. They, students might feel that if their own work doesn't go smoothly from beginning to end, then something must be up. Yes. Yes, I think that we, it's like a a weird pairing because I think we want everything to be perfect because we want to make sure that we're organized, we have things together, but it gives the students the illusion that we don't make mistakes. And since they're trying to be like us or trying to get our lessons, they're thinking, I'm not allowed to make mistakes either because my teacher does not make mistakes. So it's one example I do in my class to help alleviate that. It's really simple to do but the teacher has to be willing to be vulnerable, is every time I give back a test or a quiz, the moment they get it back, we go over all the answers. I have them 
check my grading. I have them check, like add up the, the points that got correct and find out the percentage to make sure it's right. And if they find a mistake, I announce it to the class. I say, oh, this is great. Emily found this mistake. I'm going to change her test. I'm so proud of her finding the mistake because I want them to know that I'm human too. Now, they don't always find mistakes, but when they do, and then they get that public recognition in the class that, look, I found a mistake. Dr. Jones isn't perfect. That I need that lesson to be known. And I need the students to realize these are your grades. I need you to care about them. I need you to find a constructive way of saying, hey, I think this might be incorrect. That's not demeaning or insulting to the teacher, but that shows that you're an advocate of yourself. And that is empowering and it's humanizing. And I think that's important for educators to be okay with not being the super adult that I don't make any mistakes because you show an example that we all make mistakes. It's part of being human. Absolutely. I totally agree. So I look forward to seeing you in May when you speak uh, as the keynote and uh, your featured session at OME 2020. Valerie, I want to thank you for talking with us today. I am so excited about this conference and so excited that I get to be a part of it in this way. Awesome. We'll see you in May. Thanks. Bye. That was Valerie Camille Jones talking about her Thursday afternoon featured session, Change Math Anxiety into Math Esteem. She will also be doing the Thursday morning keynote to all attendees called hashtag Math Esteem. That does it for the featured speakers on the Thursday at OME this year. And it's important to note that besides the keynotes and featured speakers, there will be hundreds of other sessions presented by other Ontario teachers that will be going on as well. So there's a lot to look forward to at this year's OME in Oshawa. Registration is currently open to those who took advantage of the early bird registration date, and regular registration will be opening up soon. Next week, we'll check in with the featured speakers from Friday at OME, Kamal Bob, Richard Van Camp, Fawn Nguyen, and George Kuros. So stay tuned for that on the next episode of OAME Talks.